Hello, everyone, and welcome to our pastor's podcast, You Asked. I'm your host, Pastor Justin, and I'm here with Pastor Chris. Today, we'll be discussing several questions that have come in over the last few weeks in our First Corinthians series, a sort of mailbox edition. So we'll get started with two questions that came in two weeks ago. Pastor Chris, you preached on how idolatry hinders the mission, um, and people are asking questions about how do we recognize idols, know which ones are appropriately idols, which things are not idols, and that sort of thing. So the, the first question that came in is this, how do we tell the difference in idols that may just be God's talents he's given to us? For example, I may idolize my ability to connect with others and always strive to be a reliable and dependable person, but couldn't this just be a talent that God has given me? How do I know the difference if it's an idol or if it isn't? Yeah, we had talked about, I mean, I think defining idolatry was primarily what it is is a good thing that becomes an ultimate thing. So it's it's not usually bad things. Uh, Everything God created is good. It's our perversion twisting of those things and making those things ultimate that become what we define as idolatry, right? We don't break commandments two through ten without breaking the first one, which is have no other gods before me. So um, so when asking about that one, we talked about the particular question came through a series of questions I gave about where, where do you tend to find, if you're not finding your righteousness in Christ, um, where do you lean, what do you lean on to find righteousness, credibility, you know, uh, with people? And so we started listing off all these different areas that can be very good. Like you can have a disciplined self-righteousness, right? I'm, I'm more disciplined than someone else. I can have a work ethic, you know, self-self uh, self kind of self-righteousness. I can have a family self-righteousness. I, I, I'm a better dad or whatever, a better husband. It, it's, it's finding that credibility and identity in something other than Christ in my own performance. So, so when you ask the, ask the question, how do you find the difference between that? Yeah, there are... There are places by God's grace that, you know, as Paul would say, 1 Corinthians 15, we are who we are by the grace of God. So there are places in our life that we need to acknowledge that, uh, hey, this is the grace of God. I think it's uh, Romans chapter 12 uh, where Paul will talk about uh, to, to think of ourselves rightly, um, soberly. Like it, we should have a, a, a proper evaluation of ourselves. It's not we are sinners, but we also are made in the image of God, and there is the grace of God at work in our life. And so... You know, as a Christian, as God works in our life, we become more like Christ. That's a good thing. We should be thankful for that. So, so as we look for areas in our life and we see that we are reliable, and I think the question was something along the idea of reliability. Like, I'm, I am a reliable person. That, that's good. Praise God for that. I think if you if you deflect that skill towards the glory of God and not towards the glory of yourself, then it's used in a proper way. Um, if it's if it's something that you are, um, you know, constantly leaning on to give you identity and credibility with people, then I think that's crossing the line where it can become an idol. And I think it'll fluctuate. It's not like it's always an idol or it's never an idol. Like some days it's an idol, some days it's not. Um, but I think it's always checking that going back to, um, you know, when you, when you start your day off, like committing your day to the Lord, um, you know, thanking Him for whatever whatever you have in front of you, the day is done. You turn around as you go to bed. You kind of give glory and credit to God for what took place. You're not taking it for yourself. Uh, I think that those are all kind of tools, ways to kind of, am I, am, I, am I building my identity on this skill or this gift or this blessing or grace that God's given to me? Or am I, am I using it for God's glory? So, I mean, granted, there's a little bit of, um, 
you know, um, we don't want to be overly self-reflective because even then that can become an idol too, where we're overly concerned about our own makeup and our own like uh, hearts working. Hearts are deceitful, as Jeremiah will say, and so there is an element of like we can't we can't really know it at times. But as God brings this up, if God, I, I would say this: if God brings up in your soul, like, hey, I, I take a lot of credit for this area of my life. I lean on this a lot. Okay, maybe that's some time to dig in a little bit with God. Be like, God, is this? Am I leaning too much on this instead of you? Am I using this as a as a crutch, as a, a means of credibility for myself? Um, am I building my identity on this skill set that you've given me? I would say just take it to God and wrestle with it a little bit. Yeah, I think whatever skills God has given you, people are going to recognize that and give you opportunity to exercise it. We're having a hard time connecting with this person. If you're a really relational person, they're going to say, hey, we need your help here. We can't connect with them. If there's a teaching opportunity, hey, we need you to teach this. We know you're good at that. If there's a, a financial need that can be met, you say, hey, I know you've got the gift of giving. People are going to bring that to you. So where we're gifted by God, people will bring those concerns to us. And one of the ways I try and guard that, I think, in my life is to say, when someone brings me a need within an area where I've been gifted, is my initial response, oh, yeah, I can do that. Or... Well, God has gifted me in that area, and by his grace, I hope that there will be fruit from this opportunity. Right? If it just circles back to, oh yeah, I'm talented, I'm good, I can take care of that, that's in my wheelhouse. Well, that, that, that's beginning to kind of reveal, this is just me leaning on me and glorifying myself rather than saying, well, this ultimately the gift is from God, and so is the result. And so let's, let's glorify him through the process. But also use the gift that's been given as well as I possibly can. Yeah, so I think that gratitude is going to come into play, right? It's gratitude for, God, thank you for the opportunity to, to do this. And when it's done, God, thank you for what I was able to do, right? Yep. There's, when you're deflecting it back to God and gratitude, that's a good check. You know, if you're not even thinking about God, <laughs> and you're not considering him, uh, and when you're done, you're just like, man, that was pretty good. <laughs> Probably that's, yeah, that's the, you're crossing the line there to where that may be coming idol. Yeah, that's good. Uh, and then the second question that came in from the same sermon about idolatry and, and knowing when we're being wise and when we may be um, crossing over into, into idolatry related to finances. And so the question was this, where does seeking financial security cross over into idolatry? Does looking at changing jobs or getting out of debt or planning for retirement fall under idolatry when there are more pressing needs for the advance of the gospel around the world. Yeah, I think that there is, when it comes to financial principles, um, I would I would kick people to um, Randy Alcorn's little book, uh, Treasure Principles, a great little tool to go to. Um, and there's lots of good tools on that, but the Bible gives lots of principles on finance. There is a sense, there is there's financial principles of, of giving, there's financial principles of saving. Um, there's principles on even on, on debt and those kind of things. So there's lots of areas on that. So you can't just have a blanket statement of like, I should just give all my money away. Um, if, if I give all my money away, then I'm not being, you know, I'm not being idolatrous. Well, even then you might be, because <laughs> you, you might be giving it all away to show how, how, how giving you are and you're building your identity on your giving. So, just, I mean, it's just not a blanket statement of just, if I do this and don't do that, therefore I'm okay. Um, so I think when you get like, you know, should I save? Yeah. Should I have a plan? Yes. You know, 
especially men, as you you know, if you if you you lead yourself, if you if you have a family, you have a wife, you have kids, like have a plan and execute the plan. Like commit it to God, build it in play, put it in play, and don't just like run aimlessly, as Paul would say in chapter nine, like have a you know, have a plan, be disciplined, have self control. Um, and then even those particular areas like finances. So so yeah, I think all that stuff is, you know, having retirement, all that things, yeah. It's constant valuation. There's no Bible doesn't give us like, hey, this is enough for retirement, or here's the age by which you should retire, or um, all that is very much a wisdom issue. That I would say, you know, you should you should be consulting somebody. You know, find somebody in the church. We talked about earlier, like people have gifts. Yeah, there are people in the church that are very good with money, and they 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 know how to save it well. They know how to how to how to, how to give it away well. Um, they know how to build towards the future, and yet not be too much built on the future and trusting God at the same time. It's a, it's a high wisdom issue, and so we should be evaluating that. But, but yeah, money can become an idol. We talked about in, in, uh, in the Gospel of Luke where there's the, the story of the rich man and Lazarus, right? The guy in heaven has a name, the guy in hell does not. <laughs> he doesn't have a name because his name is rich man. That's what he is. He is rich or he's nothing. That his entire idol has absorbed um, has absorbed him. If you, uh, another book is uh, The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis, where it talks about how idols eventually consume the person who rejects Christ. They choose their idol, and eventually in hell they, they become their idol, which is kind of an example there of the rich man. So yeah, money, Jesus warned us about money. It's powerful. Matthew 6, uh, you know, be careful. You know, there's a, there's a God of money that is very, very prevalent, and powerful, and I would say even more so. Maybe that God is even bigger today than it was back then. Uh, we can, especially in our context, you know, suburban Mid America, we can very much lean on our ability to make money, you know, save money, and not lean on God. So that is a good evaluation. We need to ask that question. Yeah, I remember when we were prepping for our sermon series uh, a couple of months ago on, on generosity and on stewardship. Um, one of the things that was striking was Jesus talks more about money than he does heaven and hell. And Paul warns Timothy, he instructs Timothy, hey, Timothy, as you're pastoring, warn people about the dangers of money. He does that a ton. And so you look at both of those and, and kind of the underlying principle is money's a lot more powerful than you think it is. It's got a stronger grip on your heart than you think it does. So when in doubt... Assume it's probably more of an idol than you actually think it is. Like and take out the government. God, show me where this is an idol. Because <laughs> odds are you're blind to it. And it's there. That's what the scriptures tell us. So you got to kind of come with that starting point And then let God reveal where it is. Because it, it does look really differently. Person to person. Situation to situation. Uh, but that, that posture of humility is critical to actually be molded by the Spirit. Yeah, you think of like how many times have you had somebody come confess to you that um, I have, have a sin to confess. I'm... Uh... I'm greedy. It's like no one does that because no one thinks they're greedy, but they know a lot of people who are, right? They, they point. I mean, I think it's interesting. Luke so that, that's never happened for me. Has that ever happened for you? <laughs> no, I've never heard you. Okay. Good. <laughs> I mean, seriously. Like, you, look, you look in Luke 12 and it says, Jesus, beware of greed. I mean, I remember in that series, I told people like, he doesn't say, nowhere in scriptures does say, beware of adultery. Beware of fornication. Why? Because in adultery, you kind of know what you're getting into. You know, you're in bed with someone else's spouse that's like pretty clear, like, hey, this is wrong. I know what I'm doing. He says, beware of greed because it's so subtle and so sly 
and no one thinks they're greedy because hey, you know, I don't have as much as so and so does, and I do give away some money, and I do get, I do help serve some people, so I'm good on that one. <laughs> and so, I mean, there's a reason. Jesus, beware of greed, because it is powerful and it is definitely sneaky, and it is definitely an idol that I would say we probably all struggle with, whether we like to admit it. And you don't have to have a lot. You can have very little money and be super greedy. You can have a lot and be super greedy. So it has nothing to do with how much money is in your bank account at all. Yep, that's really good. All right, so, so those were the two questions that came in from the prior week's sermon. We did have one from last week's sermon. So, Pastor Chris, could you give us uh, just a quick rundown of the kind of big idea of what you covered last week to frame in the context before we get to this question? Yeah, in chapter 10, the, the end of chapter 10, um, Paul uses a very, a very maybe a common verse that people know. Uh, if you've been in church a little bit of time, you've probably heard this one, but 1031 says, whatever you, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And we talked about the context. This was this whole passage was about glorifying God on mission. And the reason we, we added that is because the context of eating and drinking has everything to do with uh, being invited over to an unbeliever's house. And whatever's put before you, they, he said, Paul says, eat it. <laughs> you know, eat it. Um, if they, if right before you go to eat it, you know, the, the, the host says, hey, I offered that to my God. You know, he's like, okay, pass, pass on the meat, um, you know, just eat your vegetables. And obviously this person, there's an, almost, the language is almost like an antagonistic type thing of like, they're trying to catch you. Um, and, and in many ways they probably thought, this is one of the challenges of 1 Corinthians, trying to get into the, what was going on in the mind of the host. But um, the host was probably assuming that, hey, if, I, if this Christian eats this meat, I'll offer it to idols. Therefore, they'll be adding this God to Jesus. And a lot of people in the Corinthians viewed Jesus as another kind of God. And obviously, Scripture speaks about he's not another kind of God. He is the only God. And, um, and so for the Christians, when they're engaging the lost, they need to be careful they're not compromising the gospel and that they're speaking truth. Um, at the same time, as he talked about here, we're eating meals with them. We're engaging them. We're doing everything we, we do, as we said on Sunday over and over again. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. We're not taking the rejection personally. Uh, we're going to accept invitations. We're going to invite people over. We're going to use meals as a tool, as Jesus did, as the early church did, uh, to win people to Christ. Uh, we're going to use whatever means necessary. And uh, we're, we're, as we do it, as we go out, we're doing it for the glory of God. Um, and Jesus is made much of, and he's glorified by the progress of the gospel made in the world by believers in unbelievers' lives. And that's, that's what he's getting to. That's ultimately how we glorify God is, is we, we fulfill the Great Commission, is, glory, is glorifying God. Yeah, and so the question that we receive takes that principle and then tries to apply it to our current context in a, um, what's really a, a loaded cultural issue right now. Um, the question is this. How would this apply to something like attending a gay wedding? How do we love and seek to advance the gospel, yet not celebrate what Jesus does not celebrate? Yeah, that's a very applicable question that is very similar. So if I go back to the Corinthians context, their struggle was meat offered to idols, which sounds weird to us. But for them, that, that meat offered to idols was an association of their past before Christ. And it was very much... Um, for them, for some of them, that's why chapter eight talks about like, hey, if you're you're going, you're engaging these people, you're going to the temple where they had these ancient restaurants, or you're invited over someone's house, and they have meat. Um, if you've got a fellow Christian along with you, because mission is a community project, um, 
consider their story, their background. Don't make them stumble. Don't don't make them the way Paul would put it is don't have them go against their conscience. They may have a weaker conscience. They're not ready for that because they just got saved out of that. So in this context, it would be like, you know, should I go to a gay wedding? Should I not? Um, it's like, well, you're invited, right? So we're going back to, to this principle in chapter 10. Paul says, you're invited to eat, eat the meal, go eat. Um, it, it's a, I don't think it's a black and white issue. I don't think it's right or wrong. I think it's going to depend on the person. I think uh, to talk about the weaker, weaker conscience thing, if you were, if you came to Christ and you were saved out of um, you know, homosexuality, like going to that probably wouldn't be a good thing for you. Um, you know, uh, in terms of, of the struggle and the affections maybe rise up within you of maybe what your past life was like. Um, but if you're not, if that's not you and you've got a build relationship with these people, I don't think in going that you're automatically affirming and saying, yay, I'm pro-gay marriage, whatever. Uh, I think you're going to love people. And if you're going to love people and that's your mission and you're building relationships with these people, um, I can see that as a legitimate thing. But I, I, I can also see where people would differ on that one. It is kind of an open, I don't think it's a black and white issue. Yeah, there's definitely a lot uh want to get into there I, I think one of the things that is at least I, I think about is first of all, if you're invited to this person's wedding that's awesome it's like, fantastic. like yeah. you are invested in their life they, they understand that you care about them and that they're living a lifestyle that is against what the Bible teaches but that's not kept you away from loving them so first off I'd, I'd be excited about that opportunity um, but then secondly I would think that person has to know where you stand on this issue if they don't yet know where you stand on it and there's the risk that they could interpret that as hey you're in favor of that well then you have to wonder if you're actually on mission as you're going after them or you're just trying to make more friends Mm -hmm. but if they do know where you're at and they still invite you then there's not the risk of them thinking that you're celebrating it right right so i i I agree with you. I could see context where you could say, yes, I could go. Context say, no, I can't. I think there's a few things to consider on that one. I think one is like, so why would it be an issue? Most Christians wouldn't think of an issue if I had uh, these unbelieving friends who were sleeping together for a decade, decided finally to get married. They invite me to their wedding. Most Christians don't think anything of, oh, good, they're getting married. They should have gotten married 10 years ago, but finally they're getting married. They're not Christians, they're not believers. They've been sleeping together. What necessarily is the difference in that? than going to two dudes or two gals or getting married, right? So I think that's one issue to consider. The other one is, you know, we were in L.A. We had neighbors. There were two guys that had a, had a, had a daughter named Sophia. And, um, and our, our kids became friends with Sophia, and we were hanging out with them a lot. And this was like one of our struggles was trying to figure out how do we engage them and how do we love them and yet don't also necessarily endorse you know, their lifestyle. Yeah, we had friends also who were living together who weren't married and had kids, right? So, I mean, we had people of all kinds of spectrums that because we engaged them in their life doesn't mean we're endorsing what they're doing. And this, this can be speak to much more than sexuality, but that's that's kind of a topic we're talking about. But I remember them biting us over. And, you know, it's like we're looking at the kids going like, okay, is this okay to do? We can go to their house. Like, we can hang out with them. And it was at first a real struggle for us. Like, is this okay? And then we went, and it was like, okay, this is good. Like, we were building a relationship with them. We are talking with them. Um, you know, I remember we, we went, hung out in our pool together, and you know, we were swimming around, and, um, you know, I got to give the gospel to both of, both of the guys. Had a great conversation. They invited us over again, like, for their birthday party. Remember, go over, and we're the only ones there for the birthday party. They didn't have anybody else. Like, we came over for the birthday party, and our, our kids came over, and, 
I mean, it was it was awesome. I mean, we had this ongoing relationship with with uh, with them. Um, I don't believe in any way going over their house or going to their birthday party or being there swimming pool together, having our kids hang out together. It was any way endorsing what you know, like, like being gay. I don't think I was necessarily doing that. But they're human beings. They're made in the image of God. It's like any other person. They're a sinner like anybody else. Um, they're sort of like me. Why can I not engage them? Um, especially as, if it gives me an open door, which I think goes back to 1 Corinthians 9. Like, I become all things to all men. I want to get into the door as best I can, and I want to be able to give the gospel to them and build that bridge. Um, you know, again, in the world, but out of the world. Always trying to define that line, but I feel like, you know, it, it, that was good. Yeah. If somebody's wanting to explore a little bit more kind of this topic of engaging, particularly within the LGBTQ community, any resources you would point them towards? Uh, we have a few books in the bookstore now um, on on kind of the topic. I'm thinking of the little, little it's, it's a great book, small. Sam Alberry is God Anti-Gay. Yes. Good resource. Good resource. That one. Rosaria Butterfield, um, several books are helpful there. I think the one I would first point you to is her autobiography of how she came to Christ. The title is The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. Um, That's really helpful. If if you like to do audiobooks, that's a really good one to listen to on audiobooks. It is story, and of course you can read it as well, but that's a couple of thoughts there. Her second one, Hospitality, puts it into practice, like engaging people. Uh, and she talks a little bit about that too. So that one, uh, the gospel comes with a house key. Excellent yeah. book there as well. But these are great thoughts. We appreciate your questions and engaging with how do we actually put this into practice. So thanks for sending in questions, uh, Pastor Chris. Anything else you want to say on this topic? No, I think this is good. That these are the kind of questions. These this means you're thinking. This is good. Like this is these are the kind of questions that should come up. This is why we have a church. This is why we have fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. All right, I have you know. I think of um, William Carey. You know, when he went into India and he told, he told his. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of the guy's last name. It was his friend. Start with the last name. Start with a B. But um, he um, he told him, he was like, hey, I'm going to India. I'm going down into the well of India. And his friend said, I'll hold the rope for you. In other words, I'll pull you out if I need to pull you out. But I've got you. Right. And that was the, that's the church. As we jump into the well of whatever subcultures we're in, whatever areas of interest and and engagement we are with unbelievers. The church is there holding the rope with us, right? And they're helping us. And if we go too far, that's okay. that's part of the process. It's part of the discipleship process. Okay, you're going too far. We need to pull pull you back a little bit. You're you're falling you're you're falling into sin. You know, you need you're not going far enough. We need to push you. <laughs> we need to go jump into the well. Um, but these are the kind of questions that should come up. We should be asking each other because they are, I would say, more gray issues and not black and white issues. They're applications of the principle of fulfilling the Great Commission. And so that is where we should be asking each other those kind of questions. Like, hey, do you think it's okay if I go to this? Is this okay if I do this or do that? Um, is this still glorifying to God to do this or go there? Um, what do you think? And that's those are the conversations we should be having. That's good. Yeah. Well, we do hope this conversation has been helpful for you. You can always reach out to one of the pastors if you have any further questions. You have been listening to You Asked. You Asked.